This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Annabelle Gaberti, the host and publisher of the podcast Lawfully Creative. It's been a while. Sorry about that. But we are very busy at the law firm Crefovi you know, catching up with clients, getting on some new matters in our law firm, entertainment new matters, exciting stuff coming in. So I uh, am only able to release this fabulous podcast episode now. So on the 21st of August 2023, I had the um, extreme pleasure of meeting in person Marta Dinozzi, Marta Dinozzi, who is an assistant engineer at the very prestigious Abbey Road Studios, Music Studios. And we had a delightful time, and Marta is a very professional, determined and thorough person. She works very hard. You can really hear it from her answers to my various questions. And she takes her time to really master a craft and to really move upwards step by step at a rhythm. And I really appreciated this curiosity that she has for the field of um, music recording and music mastering and mixing. And at the same time, the humility somehow that she also has in assessing her um, skills, her skill set her abilities. I, I found her a very inspiring person and I hope you you will share this, uh, this opinion with me um, after you've heard her talking um, during this interview. So have a great listen and um, give it up for Marta Dinozzi. I've been at Abbey Road Studios in September is going to be four years. Uh, of employment. Awesome. Um, before that, I studied one year at the Abbey Road Institute um, here in London, uh, which is a school uh, that has the name of the studios as well. Is it close by? So it used to be uh, next door, in like in the building uh, next to Abbey Road, but uh-huh. now they relocated to Angel Studios. Uh, which oh, is wow, a much bigger f- uh, facility, but they have ma- much more in Islington space. Yes, yes, okay. yes. There's a uh, there's a bus that you can take on there. Yes, yes. <laughs> Over there, I think it's one four three or something, mm-hmm. which brings you to Islington. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. So you did that for a year. Yes. So, so the course is a year okay. and is um, sound engineering and uh, music production. And after that, uh, there was the possibility for me to stay at the school for a bit more because um, some students get the opportunity to work in the school as technicians. So they take care of the facilities, they help the new students settling in and troubleshooting if they're in the studios, you know, just help around. So I did that for around seven months. 
and after that there was an opening for a runner's position here at Abbey Road Studios so I applied for the job. What does that mean runner's position? So is the entry level for the people that want to do um, engineer, engineer, sound engineering in a, in a studio. Okay, so, so like in a law firm you would say I'm a trainee, of, I mean you were not, no longer a trainee I suppose, so like first year associate you would say in a law firm, uh, so yeah. you were like I think so. Okay. Um, a runner. In, in runner. Studio runner. So they were used to call T-boys uh, once uh, because they, they were the people that actually were taking care of bringing drinks and teas and food to the, to the sessions, to Fair the clients. That's, that's, that's important. Oh my god. <laughs> Very important. Um, right now, obviously, uh, there's a bit more to do in terms of what concerns a runner in a, in a studio as big as Abbey Road. Sure. Um, so you don't just bring drinks anymore or food anymore to people, but you take care of uh, the booking of the microphones, you help setting up, packing down. You're basically the first one to arrive in the morning and the last one to leave mm -hmm. uh, in the evenings after you help ev helped everyone in every session in the whole building. Yeah. So definitely uh, like a first year associate in a law firm. <laughs> yes, because uh, the learning curve is uh, pretty steep. Because in your first few months, you cannot learn to do everything. You learn, you have to learn every room. You have to learn uh, uh, about everyone, all all the members of the team, and how things work. So it's pretty intense. Speaking about that, actually, how many rooms are there in uh, Abbey Road Studios? Um, if I'm right, there's a total of seven. Wow. Okay. So we have the three main studios, so Studio 1, 2 and 3, uh, the most famous ones. Then we have a couple of mixing rooms for Atmos called Mixstage and Penthouse. And then we have some smaller studios called um, uh, Front Room, uh, The Gatehouse, and uh, which are more for um, sort of uh, band, smaller... Um, Less money. Less budget, let's say, as well, which is good because, you know, you can get a nice vocal recording or a guitar or some drums recorded here okay. uh, in, a, in a nice space. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's quite, quite a few rooms to cover. Seven. Yeah, around seven. Yes. Lovely. And um, I remember this funny anecdote about the, the Rolling Stones who uh, recorded uh, one of a album mm -hmm. outside of the UK because the taxation rate was 70% at the time in the 70s and, and or even more than that and they actually decided to relocate in the south of France in, um, in a very very plush villa um, I think on the peninsula of uh, um, it will be right back to me but between Villefranche-sur-Mer and, uh, and uh, Monaco Mm -hmm. And so I think it was called West West Coast or has called. And so these guys, the Rolling Stones, they were always recording their sessions in the middle of the night, like starting from midnight up mm -hmm. to five a.m. And so at some point, all the neighbors in the plush villas around uh, around them in uh, uh, in this uh, peninsula called I think Cap 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 Ferrat, Saint Jean Cap Ferrat, that's right, they were in mm -hmm. Saint Jean Cap Ferrat. They actually uh, called the police and decided to evict them, so they had to bugger off the Rolling Stones. And the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm um, mentioning this anecdote is because I was wondering if here at Abbey Road Studios you can accommodate the needs of um, 
workers <laughs> who are a bit, you know, bizarre. I mean, for, for normal people who work, mm-hmm. say, 9 to 7 or 9 to 8 p.m. Um, and, you know, if they want to start recording at 10, 10 p.m. or mm-hmm. midnight, is that something that can be accommodated here? And, and also being compliant with uh, rules, I suppose this is a listed conservation area. Yes. So the building is... Oh, as well. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, yes, it used to happen much more in the past, like at oh. the time of the Rolling Stones or okay. the Beatles. Or um, right now, our days are long, but they start in the morning and we finish in the evenings. Okay. Um, but if there's some special need or requirement, yes, we we can accommodate that. Right. We 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 had some sessions and we still have sometimes that they want to start later in the afternoon or evening. They go up until, well not say the morning, but yeah. So sometimes um, it happens, but less sometimes it happens. than before. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, less than 80s. before. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Do you think this is because they, they take less drugs or? <laughs> well, I would not know about that, but um, it might also be, um, I don't know, I guess it's some sort of rule as well. Um, uh, the, the usual booking is from uh, 10 a.m. till 8 p.m. and if you want to do more than that or different timings than that is something that needs to be discussed with the office so having a management okay. that actually takes care of all of this stuff with the clients it kind of takes the pressure off of us in terms of how many hours we have to work yeah. even during the night so maybe it's up to the office it. yes maybe it could be just a jet lag thing you know if they come from Australia oh, yeah, yeah. or the US uh, we, we have a lot of that like a lot of clients come from uh, from the US and um, wow. we we start later in the day and we, and we finish later at night to try and accommodate the fact that they're je- they're a bit jet lag uh-huh. or uh, we do a lot of streamings of streaming of audio and picture if we do movies um, to people that couldn't come maybe to be here for the session so the clients some of the clients are still in the u.s really? so they what, what, what you are recording yeah 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 so streaming streaming live live with musicians who are in-house here yes wow you uh, must have an absolutely amazing uh wi-fi connection <laughs> yeah Yes, um, more than Wi-Fi is wired, so our internet, it is, uh, wow. in fact, pretty fast. Um, so we are able to stream audio and picture in sync with the orchestra or the musicians that are playing at the same time. Yes, yeah, so if it's with Los Angeles, by definition, you would have to start exactly. working. Yeah. So Afternoon. sometimes we start at 2 p.m. and they wake up 5 a.m. to be able to get the streaming wow. and, you know, for us not to be too late in the afternoon or evening mm-hmm. to get through the night. So we get a lot of that with clients that come from different places in the world. Uh-huh. Uh, and are you local to here or do you have to commute? Because especially these hours are a bit, you know, uh, um, can change. Are you like... I, or perhaps you can cab it. When, when I recently bought a motorbike. Ooh, that's dangerous. <laughs> I know, but I'm Italian. I come from Rome. So I learned to drive there, and I got my first moped when I was 14, my first motorbike when I was 16. So um, so I decided, um, since I live in North London, and it would take me uh, almost an hour to get here with tube, I was like, you know what? So you you, you take your motorbike? Your motorbike yes, or? yes. And now that's in cool. less than half an hour, I'm here. So so that's pretty cool. Awesome. That's great. Well done. <laughs> so four years. So you said, and sorry, um, I might have misunderstood, but you said 
four years working here mm -hmm. was that comprising covering your time when you were at the Abbey Road Academy or was or school or, or was that um, in addition? In addition. Okay, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. five years here in London then. Uh, five years and a half in London, yes. Five uh, years and a half in London. Because I think you did a bit of free lancing in the meantime. In the, before being recruited here permanently. Yes, yeah, so right? when I was uh, still a technician at the Institute, I did a bit of freelancing as an um, uh, assistant for a mixing engineer here in London. Okay. So I was doing a bit of that as well. So two or three jobs, and then I got the interview for, for this job. So. Right. Is it, is it permanent? Are you, or are you freelance, or...? Here, I am uh, employed okay, by yes, by the studios, so I mainly work here. Congratulations, yes. that's wonderful. Thank you. So, is that okay if we perhaps go like uh, a bit back just yeah. to understand, you know, yeah, where, you, where you come from? And so, you are from Rome. You said yes. you are from Rome. I'm from Rome. First, moped at 14 years old. <laughs> yes. Ah, I bought I bought a scooter in the south of France. In my in my thirties, but uh, this was the first time using a scooter because my mother never wanted me to take a moped. Yeah. And ten minutes after I bought it, I, I smashed it. Oh no! Yeah. Uh, I forgot I had been insurance already, but oh, I was yeah. I had to take a course. I had to actually go back to Paris and take a course to, to be able to ride a uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a twenty-five cc. What can you do with those intellectuals? They don't know what to do with their hands. <laughs> anyway, so um. Are you coming from a family who is mus musical in, in itself? Are your parents mm. in the business? No. Uh, my dad is a chemical engineer and my mom is a gymnastic teacher. So, um, okay. But both of them, before um, having their, like, let's call it real jobs, they were passionate about something that regarded music. So my mom used to dance. Mm -hmm. And she did it for many years, uh, uh, like ballet and also modern uh, style. Um, but uh, when she figured out that she didn't have the right body or what they considered the right body at the time mm -hmm. to become like the first ballerina or, you know, the one at the front of... Um, uh, of the stage, she had to make a choice. Even if she loved dancing, she was like, I'll, I'll probably have a better career if I go towards gymnastics. And that's what she did. So she gave up the, the, the musical part of her life in some sense to get some, uh, um, what was considered at the time more of a real job. So that's where she went. She did it for her whole life. Um, was she going to um, a musical conservatory to get her ballet classes or were also some some music uh, music sessions were and, and and classes were given to other students or because in France for example where I was um, brought up and where uh -huh. I was born um, almost every town has got a municipal town conservatory uh -huh. where you can study music as well as solfege, solfeggio, so yes. uh, scoring uh -huh. and um, reading, reading scores and also playing instruments and also um, learning ballet, yeah. all the, only the class, well, like, mostly the classical uh -huh. ballet. So yeah, yeah, is yeah. it like this as well? In so in Italy, Italy it is like that. We have yes. a, what we call conservatory mm. um, yeah. and there's one in every, in every city. Okay. Uh, very famous is the one in Rome. 
special. Um, yeah. But no, my mom never studied there. Um, she she took uh, ballet classes and all of that for many years until she was 17, 18. Okay, more um, on the pri private. Private, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she went to uh, a university you could actually um, study uh, how to become uh, a gymnastic teacher. And okay. it was like a, a uni, a university. Sure. It was like four years or five years. Which, which, which she university? Did you go to La Sapienza? No, she, my mom is from the north of Italy. Oh, okay. She's uh, from Bassano del Grappa, which is uh, out of uh, Vicenza, mm -hmm. and it's near Venice. So it's the oh, northeast. Okay. Okay. So she went to Milan okay. to study there. Um, um, and after what that, she university just... university did she go to? Um, if you remember. Yeah, I, I think I do remember. Um, I don't think she would go to Bocconi for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't worry, it's fine. No, it's because she always tells me I've done this and now I can remember the the name of it. Uh, and I'm pretty upset I'm, about it actually. It La Scala is in, in, in Milan, isn't it? Yes. And do they also do ballet performances there or is it... Uh, yeah, they do. They do. And um, my mom always uh, used to tell me about when my grandfather would bring her to La Scala. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And it was like a very special thing because the ticket cost a lot of money because yeah. it was, you know, the nicest place you could go to see ballet. Yeah. And uh, she remembers that. Um, about about my grandpa that didn't have like all the money in the world to take her but he would when she was younger and then she grew up with the idea of the ballet also because of that because she witnessed at La Scala sure. some nice things so this is the equivalent of the English National Opera here the, um, sorry the Royal uh, Opera House yes which is here in uh, uh, Covent Garden and I think the Pal Paligarni in, in mm -hmm. Paris mm -hmm. Okay, so she had to pivot and go yes. into gymnastics, but she was musical in the sense that she used the uh, uh, music to, to be able to do her yes. ballet and dance classes. What about your dad? So, my dad as well, um, he's, um, I would not say dream, but what he loved was art. Mm -hmm. And uh, he made sculptures of his whole life. Okay. Uh, he started with some materials and then went through different phases, reusing different kinds of materials um, and becoming more abstract. Uh, but in the meantime, he was a chemical engineer. So he got, um, and then he met my mom, they got married. Uh, my brother was born. So, you know, he had to kind of provide for the family. Mm -hmm. So in, I always saw him in his spare time making these constructions and this... Um, so beautiful things it's but it's got an artistic side yes um but it wasn't until he uh retired that he, he could uh, get all of his time put into his passion which was making sculptures mm. um uh, he was not a lot at home he would be out traveling around the world mm -hmm. um who did he work for so he worked for big chemical companies. Um, uh, one was called uh, Henkel. They make um, any sorts of, from soaps uh, to to products for cleaning. And then he also worked uh, for a company that was taking care of um, oil refineries. Mm. 
I don't know if that's the name for, the, for them. So but he probably had to go to the Middle East a lot. Yeah, he went to Middle East a lot. He would tell me about getting helicopters and, you know, getting to the middle of the sea on the platforms uh -huh. where, yeah, it was like, uh, he, was, he was basically never there. He was at home once a week for many, many years. Um, and then my auntie, um, she passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately. It was uh, his sister. Okay. She was an accomplished uh, painter. Mm -hmm. um, and some of her works, there's a couple of big mosaics that actually you can see in the underground in Naples. She was she, she lived her whole life basically in Naples. Um, so she was an accomplished painter. And in the uh, meanwhile, uh, she was the older sister, but she was always a bit more... the say the, the 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 biggest character my dad was uh the more introverted yeah more introverted so he always saw her doing whatever she wanted to do and uh, living her life pursuing her art and in the meantime he actually had to pro felt the, the weight of providing for his family so he couldn't pursue his artistic side and i always thought that it was really nice that when he finally got retired he now can spend all of his time doing that and he's actually um, doing a lot of nice things in Rome uh, art galleries and you know getting his art out and I'm really proud of him for that and he was always the biggest supporter of me making music when I was younger and I think the fact that he couldn't actually pursue that in his life early on made him understand how important it was for me to actually be having this, his support in pursuing making music or buying me a guitar or pay for um, music lessons. Okay. Is that what happened? You played the guitar? Yes, yes, child? yes. When um, did you start? So when I was around six years old, um, I, I always asked to um, uh, Santa for Christmas uh, either a keyboard or a drum uh, kit, uh, but you know, they, it, it, what would arrive was not the real thing. It was like a toy version of all the musical uh, instruments yeah. I wanted to play. So when I was six years old, I talked to my mom and I was like, Mom, I want to play the violin. The violin? Yes. Oh. And she was like, I don't think you want to do that. I do think. <laughs> you have terrible it sounds when kids aren't you? Yes. Studying and practicing. Yes. Um... So what she told me was that, I think you want to play the guitar. Ah, okay. Mom, I think I want to play the violin, but okay. And she told me, one day you're going to thank me because when there's going to be a bonfire somewhere, you're going to bring your guitar and you're going to be able to sing to people and you're going to be able to have a band or play with other people. But with the violin, it would be much more difficult for you to, to do something like that. Well, you could have joined... An, an orchestra, yeah, an yes, ensemble, but that would be more on the yeah on the um, classical side of things. Exactly. So, anyways, she kind of decided. Did you enjoy it eventually? Oh yeah, guitar? I loved it. Okay. I played uh, guitar, classical guitar until uh, twelve. Okay. So, did you go to a concert conservatorio? Or? Uh, no, I did like private, private lessons, well. and then uh, did you learn how to read a, 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 a score? Yes. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, I learned how to read music. I was doing solfeggio. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, all of that music okay. theory. Starting from six six years old. Yes. Right. Um, 
and then when I went to middle school in Italy, uh, you actually had the choice, even if it's a public school, some yeah. schools provide like um, extra music lessons. Also. So my middle school, between the, uh, the age of 11 and 13, I was actually able to play classical guitar at school, at school. after uh, the normal hours. Which uh, I, I studied actually in... Um in in in, Buc in Bucconi, so I was in Milan, oh, wow. but I also had a um, a, 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 a pen friend in um, uh, Grotta Ferrata. Which oh yeah, is, just is outside the Rome. Exactly, yeah. just above Rome. And so I, I used to go to Rome, uh, Melandina, to Chiverina, Lofa, Mugin, Siante. So which quartiere, uh, which district of Rome were you? Um, so I'm from the north of Rome. Um, uh, when I was a kid, we used to live in Balduina, and then we moved to uh, Monte Mario, and my parents now live in La Giustiniana, which is on Via Cassia, it's like the north of Rome. Okay. And at the time, uh, I was in elementary school, well, in the meantime, when I was a kid, we lived five years in Spain, so I lived five years in Barcelona, from the okay. age of 40 to 9. Because of your dad's uh, job? Yes. Um oh because he became responsible for um, like a Europe division on his company, so he had to relocate. Mm -hmm. And then we came back to Rome, and I studied at the, um, yeah, did a couple of years of elementary school there, and the middle school was uh, Giovanni XXIII, uh, which is in Balduina mm -hmm. neighborhood. And after that, I went to high school. Uh, every every end of the year around May June, were you taking some uh, um, concorsi like uh, exams? Exams. Yes, yes, that's mandatory um, every year. Okay. Yes. So you were basically every every year going up a, a, a level and. Uh, yes, like how it works in Italy is, I find, is slightly different than what is it, it is here. Uh, here they have all these kind of levels with, uh, you know, the letters in front of, the, uh, of, of it, like uh, A something or this right. grade. Uh -huh. um, I never saw any of that in any of the private schools I was attending. Okay. It's like, this is something you would do uh, to have like the diploma that certifies that if yeah. you then you want to access cons the conservatory or you know exactly. want to do a specific job but like a regular school would not provide you with uh, some certificate that tells you which level exactly you are in you know for a, a European rec recognition or world's like recognition of that okay. um, I um all over you. At around 11 years old, I started playing the, the piano, and then uh, I decided to switch to the flute, uh, flauto traverso. Mm -hmm. And every year in uh, in June, we had to to play <laughs> in front of a jury of like five or six music teachers in the conserva conservatoire de Suresnes, so conservatory of Suresnes, and uh, it was pretty scary. Yeah. Most of the time, we had to we couldn't have a score sheet. We had to have memorized everything. By heart, so yeah. French are pretty tough with their music education. Yeah, were you? Were your your teachers were they telling you um, you are gifted? You 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 should really pursue. They used to tell me always, you are a good player, but you are lazy. You don't want to. You don't uh, rehearse every evening. No, no, no. Hour. It was the opposite. It was like you don't read fast enough. You don't read music fast enough, and since your brain knows it, you learn everything by heart because you have amazing ears. Wonderful. So what I used to do, I, I used to know every piece by heart, 
just because my teacher would play to me a few times and then I would actually understand when my fingers were going I was taking a glance at the at the music but I was not actually reading it all the time and I was going just because of the sounds of the notes not because of this the notes I was seeing on the paper surely you, you I'm, I'm sure you know that most um, um, guitar musicians in the uh, in in the rock and uh, I mean like in contemporary music mm -hmm. in the space of pop music and stuff like commercial music they, that's most of them they don't read yeah, music. True. It's just by yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by by ear and uh, and looking at how the you know the, the, the calls are being played and it's pretty amazing. And yeah, my I must admit I'm very dependent on my score sheet. If I know I have a score sheet, I still play the flute from time to time mm -hmm. um, at weekends and um, my memory is terrible. No, I'm exactly the opposite. Um, and then I found out when I was a bit older that I had, you know, nobody ever, no um, doctor ever diagnosed anything to me. But um, I um, sometimes when I was um, at school and we were doing mathematics, I used to switch numbers when I was writing yeah. them, um, maybe a touch, uh -huh. but that would not help also with reading music that's why I was so lazy as well because I was probably getting a bit confused and my brain could not process fast enough the the paper um, so I relied a lot on my ears mm -hmm. and at the time all of my teachers were just saying you should not do that because when you need to read and you have like you're never gonna be able to sight read anything if you keep doing this yeah. But I didn't care because I didn't want to become a, a classical uh, guitar player. Mm -hmm. That was not my thing. I was just feeling the music inside of me and I wanted to play along or I uh, I liked a lot of different music, like especially pop music at the time when I was younger, uh, pop, rock. So that was my aim. It was not towards classical world, but more okay. towards rock, pop world. Mm -hmm. So I knew there was not... It was very important to be able to read music, but yeah. sight reading was not like it's paramount. Yeah. If you were not thinking of becoming a, um, a part of an ensemble where you would be the, the, the star guitar player and 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 and, and, or, or, and, and limiting yourself to just classical music, you, you wanted to, actually outside your classes where you sometimes taking your guitar and trying to uh, replicate some tunes you were hearing oh, on the yeah. radio or at TV or on the... All the time, all the time. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, when I was younger internet was a thing but it was not like as big as now. You can find any uh, progression of chords for, for from any song of any genre. Mm -hmm. At the time you would type, you know, chords for this song and maybe someone had the time to kind of make uh, some sort of website in which there was some right. indication. So I could yeah. not find everything on the internet so I had to rely on my on ears. When was that? Beginning of the noughties? Beginning of the 2000s? Uh, beginning of the 2000s. Um, I was born in 1989, so I was 11 around 2000, 2001 actually. Yeah, okay. So mm -hmm. I would say 2002, yeah. 2003, I started, I asked my parents to buy me an acoustic guitar and an electric guitar and uh, they were so nice and they did it. <laughs> which, which brand did they? Uh... Um, they bought me a Fender, um, 
a squire actually because it was okay. a bit cheaper because you know when you have a kid then they're like oh I like this you never know if it's really really what they want to do or if they're gonna pursue it so I think they went for the safest option which was a cheap guitar with a very cheap amplifier so I had that and then they, um, they bought me Annie Bannett's um, acoustic guitar uh, so. so I would spend my whole like my days with acoustic guitar, trying to sing, I don't know, Alanis Morissette, The Cranberries. You would spend your days? Yeah, yeah, all day. That's what I was doing. Um, right. Because, I mean, I, I mean, for me, the, I would play the flute for an hour, and then I would be, okay, I've rehearsed my flute, I'll talk to you in two or three days, yeah. or tomorrow. But I, I wouldn't spend the whole day playing the flute or the piano. I was out of a, wow, so you were really into it. I was really into it, and I wanted to sing it. So what I started to do... Were you thinking uh, in your, when you were a teenager that you actually would become a professional? Oh, um, well, as I kind of progressed and I became older, I started looking for people that could play with me. So I joined the band ah. as a guitar player first. And then Not the bass, guitar. Guitar, yes. Okay. But like a, a classical or contemporary? Like no, 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 electric, electric guitar. Oh. Yeah, so um, what happened in my high school is that once a year they would uh, do what they call the Settimana di Didattica Alternativa, which means that for a week the students were in charge of the program. Awesome. We, it could be chaos, but it could also be really nice. So we used to watch movies and have a chat about it with all the students. Uh, or we used to make laboratories where you could learn things about different things. And there was also the laboratory about music. Mm -hmm. So I was there. And was, that, was that like a really advanced school or, or like, a, like a progressive school? Or was that no, school? public school. A public high school in the north of Rome, in wow. not a particularly fancy neighborhood as well. Yeah. Um, so we would do that, and uh, people would bring their instruments, and everyone would have a go at playing. So whoever knew how to play something would be like, oh, let's try and play this song, and just, you know, kind of rehearse together. So I, I got noticed because I was playing the guitar, and I think I was playing Nothing Else Matters by Metallica on the acoustic guitar wow. and uh, one of them came over to me and was like oh I have a band and I need a new guitarist would you come and try you know um, I was like what was he playing himself they were doing a mix of some original songs kind of new metal influence okay. like on the heavier side you were going for your goth phase <laughs> Um, you know, wearing or dark, dark clothes, uh, of black everywhere. Absolutely, absolutely necessary in the, in the middle of summer in, in Rome. Of oh my God! Yes, <laughs> I used to wear Dr. Martins uh, to the sea as well. Like all the sand going in that. Like, anyways. <laughs> so um, I was like, okay, I'll bring over my guitar. But Doc Martins are great here in London. Not yeah, yeah, not not in Rome. No, not on the on Ostia beach. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I went and I tried and they were like, okay, you can play with us. So from there I started and... How long did you stay in the band? Um, it was roughly a year, also, but then... You were, were you the only female member of the band? No, the singer, she was a girl. Oh, good. But then at some point she decided to leave the band, or I don't know what happened, and I got called and they were like, would you try and sing as well? I was like, well... 
Now, I know I'm not terrible, but I, do, I don't know if I'm capable of being the front woman of a band, but we can As well as playing the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. So it's doing the um, rhythm, rhythmic guitar, not the solo parts and stuff, but rhythmic guitar and, and singing. Wow. And then... So you did it? I did it for a bit, but then we never got to do, to the stage uh, and the band just did, didn't work. So uh, with the keyboard player, we formed a different band uh, where I was singing... Uh, um, we were doing a mix of uh, covers and uh, original songs that I was um, uh, composing with the keyboard player as well. Wow. Um, How old were you by, by then, more or less? I would have been, no, 17. Okay, so you, at the same time you were preparing as well what we call the baccalaureate and the a in France and the A levels here. So okay, I, so that was pretty intense. Uh, yeah, at 18 we do examen de maturita. Yeah. Yes, that. Which, yeah, yeah, which yeah. section were, were you in? Were you like literally or or, or, I, maths or I took the scientific what we call the scientific path. So I had a lot of maths, physics. Yeah. Um, Actually, I I read an article saying that people who are usually uh, were good at. Uh, playing music usually they've got also some skills for, for maths math stuff yeah I think that's quite linked yeah uh, well maths was my weak, po weak point <laughs> scientific let's say scientific. yeah 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 no but it is interesting because I think it's related uh, by the fact that um, music is a language and it's a written language as well mm -hmm. so uh, same as mathematics really yeah. uh, so if you if you know how to read numbers it, is, it might be that your brain is wired in a way mm -hmm. that it's good kind of easier for you to read music as well it, nice. it makes a lot of sense yeah. um, keys and stuff yeah, so I was doing all of that in the meantime, and uh, I was also trying to get my uh, exam done. Which, uh, let's mention it, because I think it's true also in Italy, the scientific um, esame di maturità is probably the toughest among all of the... Yeah? Yeah, let's say you have the... That, that's the way it is in France, if you take the scientific route, it's supposed to be... The, the two more difficult ones are Liceo Classico and Liceo Scientifico, which is a classic literature, okay. uh, because you you studied there uh, Greek, Latin, and, you know, literature, uh, but in the scientific path, you still have Latin, but you have much more mathematics, physics, uh, biology, chemistry, and all of that kind of sure. stuff, so those are the two most difficult ones, yeah. Two lady at 17 years old? I was everywhere. I don't know where I was finding the energy if I think about it now. That's you awesome. know. And were you going to gigs? Were you going to concerts? Because there are, there, there's a, there's, I think there's a massive arena in, in, uh, in, in Rome as well where you can see very large bands. And there's, like, you know, yeah, bands. there's different ones. Like yeah. they, We have festivals every summer. We have Capanelle, which is a huge venue. We have um, the Auditorium. Parco della Musica, where classical music happens, but also a lot of gigs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember my first ever gig, I was 15. It was at the Teatro Tenda Strisce, just outside of Rome. And I went to see Lacuna Coil, which is an Italian metal band. Wow. Uh, and... Was no, 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 no. <laughs> I went with two of my classmates. Uh -huh. We were the same age, and 
uh, one of my classmates' mom uh, brought us, got us to the gig, left okay. us there, wow. uh, and then came back to pick us up like two, three hours later. Uh, my parents were pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, it was amazing. We were all horrible and sweaty and just like jumping around. So I was about to ask you whether you were into Lucio Dalla e Giovanotti, but perhaps not then. <laughs> <laughs> no, not then. No. Um, I have uh, uh, most respect for, for both of them, uh, especially Lucio Dalla, I think it kind of changed completely uh, Italian music in, and it affected a lot of people in so many ways. He was an amazing songwriter, like, uh, but it's a completely different genre. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's like popular Italian music uh, made with a lot of heart. But at the time, I was for metal, new metal. I wanted to, you know, the the noise from the guitar, the distorted guitars. You know, the French intellectuals would say, Italian music, they reply, Paolo Conte. Yes, that's another classic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really do like Paolo Conte, by the way. Okay, great. So, I actually, in a way, I think, really, you coming to London made a lot of sense in view of your artistic, not, I mean, music, musical tastes. But you went... Um, it says on your profile for Abbey Road Studios, you went to St. Louis College of Music. So how did this, was was this after the Licenza di Maturità or, 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 or before or at the same time? Um, so the path that got me to where I'm here now has not been exactly straightforward. Um, when I did my Esame di Maturità, I got my score, you know, I got out of uh, high school and I got the choice. Like, everyone in my family has uh, a degree, so they, they all attended a university, um, which made me uh, think that automatically I should do it too. Okay. Uh, do you have a lot of siblings? I have just one brother, okay. and he's 13 years older than I am. Okay. So what does he do? He's a, a broker. He lived in London for 11 years and then went back to uh, Spain. He's married to a Spanish woman, okay. and they have three beautiful kids. In Barcelona, is uh, They are in Madrid. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so he probably studied economics. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes. Um, so... Uh, so there was this thing, this pressure about getting a degree. I kind of felt it, yes. Yeah. And the problem at the time is that I didn't know what I wanted to do. Or I, or I thought I didn't know. Because I didn't see music as an option. Really? Yes. I thought I wasn't talented enough to become a player. Like, a, I don't know, a session musician mm -hmm. or playing just, you know, as, as a job. Uh, I thought I was not talented enough to become a singer. Um, or to join the conservatorio because it was a tough path mm. um, because I was passionate about music but I thought that having a band was not enough to kind of you know get a living out of it mm. so I had to make a choice um, there were two things that kind of got my attention one was architecture which is uh, really uh, important in Rome. We have one of the oldest faculties for architecture, Alla Sapienza. Mm -hmm. And then biology. Very yeah. Well, both were very different. Yeah. Yeah, we're thinking, how am I going to earn my crust? It's great to love music, but if I can't live... Yeah. So what I did, since biology was what we call open number, so you can enroll and just 
you're automatically in. But architecture had a test because there's a lot of people applying in mm. not enough spaces. Um, so I was like, I'm going to attempt the architecture one. If I get in, it means that, you know, destiny decided for me that I'm going to become an architect and not a biologist. But did you have to study hard to get these well yeah okay. I had to study for a few months okay. um, there were like 3,000 people applied applying and they got like the first thousand or something less 800 so I got in wow well done yeah uh, did, did you did you enroll into a course to, to prepare yourself for this entrance exam or did you prepare by yourself no I got the books and I just studied but by yourself yeah well done and um, so I got in, so I started studying architecture, and one of the first things they tell you... Seven years of studying before you can even go to a practice. <laughs> so it's five years of uni, but yeah. the average time that a person would take to actually get to the degree is seven years. Yeah. And the first thing they tell you, the first lecture, they look at, you know, you're there with hundreds of stu new students and they look at everyone and they're like with the microphone they say hi welcome you're you know one of the most prestigious faculties for architecture in the world uh, I, I enrolled in the Ludovico Guaroni um, faculty there were two at the time Valle Giulia and Ludovico Guaroni one was, yes one was considered more of a um, classical approach to a study of architecture, the other one was more sort of design, mm -hmm. kind of, um, so I got the, in the Ludovico Guaroni one, who was the founder. Um, a more classical one. Yeah, more like architecture, that's it. Um, and in, in, in the microphone they said, uh, we have a 25% rate of actually people getting to the degree. So this means that um, Even with an entrance exam, which is tough. Yeah, so it, this means that three out of four of you are, going to are not going to make it. So you, if you have any doubts now, this is the first day, you still have time to enroll in a different faculty and study something else. So if you want to leave, this is the moment Why? to do it. Why are so many people falling out of a, of a curriculum? It is very long um, yeah. and it's it's a very difficult uh, um, one. Wow. Is the teachers are uh, you know established architects uh, or people that belong to families that where everyone was an architect mm -hmm. and they kind of expect so much of you and it's pretty brutal the approach they take because they have so many students they don't need you that's the point they're like you wanted to do it so you have to demonstrate me your worth. Um, your words so how, did, how, how long did it take you to understand that was half? <laughs> so I did it for five years. I arrived to the last year, oh but it would have taken me another three years to get the degree. And by then you were not yet at St. Louis College of Music. By then I was 23. I thought I was all to change and I was seeing my life as a failure because I, I you know, I would have to spend another three years of my life studying something that I was not really passionate about. Okay, but then you had ascertained you were not really passionate about it. Yes. And in the meantime, I was um, making music with my band, we were doing gigs, and I was doing all that stuff on the side as well. And your parents were okay to support you for five years, or you had to work as well? Um, 
like every once in a while I was kind of helping in my um, cousins he has a shop in the underground okay. selling tickets okay. so every once in a while my dad would send me there saying you know you are, you are a grown up now so mm-hmm. if you need the money to for non sei una vitellone devi andare a lavorare <laughs> esattamente esattamente proprio così so which is fair is fair because I was pursuing my interests and music and I was not progressing fast enough uh, with architecture and at some point I was just so sad and depressed that my my parents came to me and they were like Marta you can you cannot you know go on about this like this because that, I don't think that's the right approach to to life really so if this doesn't make you happy it's fine you're not a failure find something you're passionate about and you want to actually do it doesn't matter if you're not going to become an architect just please please change this situation because we don't know how to help you anymore you were really feeling quite depressed yeah i was really feeling sad yes so Um, how did you how did you come across it was actually my mom she was like Um, because I didn't know about the existence of St. Louis College of Music, I only knew about the Conservatorio in Rome, okay. that they were, you know, teaching music in all of its uh, uh, different fields. Probably classical music. Right? Mostly classical. Yeah. And then I, what I was doing with my band, I, I, I had the computer and I would try and record our music. So I had downloaded all, all the, these free softwares you could use. Wow to actually be able to with just a microphone to get like a track going on and then maybe record the guitar on top and maybe you know record the bass on top so in the meantime so by myself yeah. I was trying to do that but I didn't know how it worked uh, as a sort of hobby you were kind yes. of improvising yourself yes as a, as a hobby so my parents were like you spend all day doing this kind of thing Is, isn't there anywhere anywhere you can learn about this i didn't even think about sound engineering i didn't even know how, what it was at the time and so i looked uh, uh, at the conservatorio and they had a section about sound engineering but it was so classically so you had to learn the setti clavio which is all the seven uh, different um sort of uh, keys you can uh, Uh, sing to you know you have um, uh, la chiave di sol la chiave di fa so the mm-hmm. bass mm-hmm. And, uh, and the treble but you, you had to learn all about the theory of m- music theory and I already knew that I was not that was not my strength mm-hmm. and I wanted something probably more hands-on if I had to learn how to actually record music so it was actually my mom that heard about this school She was like, why she didn't was, she... She was a teacher. Oh, she was a teacher then, so... Yes. Yeah, she had a network. So, probably... She probably asked around a bit. Yeah, she asked around a bit. She talked to someone, and she was like, this, this private school... This is a private school. I was wondering, actually. Yes, it's a private university. Yeah. And they give you the okay. equivalent... Uh, Università. Università, yes. Okay. So, my degree is the equivalent of a bachelor's degree. So does this mean you got two degrees, one in architecture and the other? I never finished architecture. Oh, I, finish I dropped out. Dropped out. Oh. Well, okay. And so, how long was that degree in St. Louis College of Music? Uh, four years. In they English? Have, uh, in Italian, uh, but you had like they they teach you English as well. So after that, les amis de maturita, you've got nine years of studying. Yes. Okay. 
Right. So they have a preparatory uh, year if you don't know anything about audio. So you did it? So I did it. And then I did the three years for the bachelor's degree. Okay. So it's four years total. And uh, which um, district of uh, Rome is it based in? It's in a city center. It's in Rione Monti, very close to the uh, Altare della Patria. Like that's cool. Via Cavour. Oh, lovely! Oh, wow! Nice, yeah, nice, nice city nice center. Shops there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to commute to this part of town every every day. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. had to take the train and then change and get the metro, metro A, or metro B, metro B. Yeah, because it's definitely not something you can do, like distance learning, you have no. to be there, right? Yes, yes. And, and they had a studio there. Were they uh, good? Do you think it's a good, good university? I do think it's a good uni. Uh, at the time, they didn't have many facilities, mm -hmm. um, which is something that I found here when I came to the institute, because I, I wanted to be more hands-on and have more uh, spaces, be, being able to learn and and also like maybe a big big desk or um, that you, kind of you thing. The Abbey Road Institute. Yes, sorry, right. the Abbey Road Institute. So um, I studied uh, St. Louis those four years, and I felt like I got a lot of theory uh, okay. out of it, and not. What do you mean theory? Because I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, here. You probably don't really need to have to, to read score sheets, or maybe a bit less than when you are playing an instrument. But what sort of theory would you would you dig into? I was thinking about more audio, like um, uh, the physics of audio. How to get a great sound? Yeah, I mean, we studied everything related to sound, which means also how am I going to build a studio okay. with a good acoustic? Mm. So we, I studied acoustics as well, and then. I studied how system works, like PA, if you do live sound, how are you going to get those speakers to be in sync with these other speakers, or um, I, I had a module that was about um, everything that is electric, so you don't get uh, you know, electrocuted on the job, because you handle wow. a lot of power when you work in some of venues, so it was very, very technical, and in the meantime I was doing music theory, piano, Wow. Uh, and well, practicing piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to do it. And then I was uh, studying uh, music for film. Oh, uh, so and I had the practice. What you mean, like uh, creating, being, being? Uh, what do you mean? Music History for film? of music for film. History of music for film. Yeah. And then I had the time in the studio, so I had to learn every microphone, how they worked, how a desk, a music desk works, a mixer. Um, and then there's also all the protocols for softwares, what MIDI is, all the different DAWs, so digital audio workstations, so all the softwares that we use to record audio, manipulate audio. What is MIDI? MIDI is a protocol to be able to send sort of um, data okay. from an instrument to a computer or vice versa. So when you play a keyboard that doesn't doesn't have any sound in it, okay. you probably gonna have a MIDI cable going to your laptop, and that's where the sound is. So the the keyboard is sending a MIDI signal to your computer uh, that tells the computer which um, note you are playing on the keyboard. And you're basically controlling, remotely controlling whatever software you have on your computer. What about editing once you, you have a recording where you learn yeah. this as well? Yeah, I was learning that. I was learning uh, about editing. I was learning about mixing. I was learning about mastering. Everything. 
I mean, it's three years long plus one, so it's four years long. So we got into basically every aspect of audio possible. Was that a good recipe to get your depression away? Oh yeah, work? oh yeah, it was amazing. The recordings of my Thank band improved mommy. a lot. Thank you, mamma. <laughs> grazie mamma, grazie papà. <laughs> Infinitamente grata. Um, because in the Sweet meantime, words. yeah, I was applying that to my band mm -hmm. stuff, so. Yes. I was recording our music and I started doing a bit of freelancing. I was doing live sound in a, in a venue mm -hmm. and then I got to work for a uh, um, music company that was doing a music for TV. So we did the, I, did, I worked on this show that it was like um, a kid's talent show for Italian TV. So we were doing music for that. So it, while I was studying, I was keeping music. Was that in Cinecittà? Because I remember that the, the, the famous film studios are based close to Rome or in Rome. Cinecittà. Yes, Cinecittà is yeah. uh, like huge for cinema. Okay. Um, it's still working, right? It's oh yeah, yeah, there. yeah. No, still, still there. But what I was, uh, what I was Did working. Did you have a chance to work there sometimes? No, no. because for TV with all the. Uh, Mediaset stuff, which is channel four, five, and six, well, um, in Italy, in Italy they have um, Mediaset. That's uh, Berlusconi, no? It was, yeah, it was Berlusconi stuff. So they have their big studios. There are uh, just outside of Rome, I think, on Via Salaria, if mm -hmm. I'm correct. Yeah. And so you were going there. So I, I went there for a few times, and it was actually really uh, in, interesting to me to see how they do editing for TV, mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty different from editing for uh, music. Um, when you edit music, you you try and be musical about it. When you edit for TV, you're trying to be practical about it. Sure. So it's two completely different approaches, two di completely different um, uh, softwares as, as well that they were using. So I got to see another side of the music business, which is probably very useful for you now because I understand that in your in your work that you do nowadays for Abbey Road Studios, sometimes you have to work on projects which include movie scores and, and, and therefore need to fit to the uh, yes to, um, to the video and uh, yeah shots the, and stuff. The idea of having the picture in sync with the music yeah. and then having the music um, maybe fading out or fading in when there's a dialogue and the idea of uh, uh, about the music being sometimes complementary or in the background and some other times being very prominent. That's That's been uh, interesting also yeah, to see how it works in TV. Yeah, yeah. So how do you... Well, thanks. That's, that's very enlightening. Um, and so how, what are the links between the Abbey Road um, Institute, Institute and, and the, the uh, St. Louis College of Music? Are they close or was it just like a coincidence? From what remember? I know, there's none. Um, so how did you come across the Abbey Road Institute in another country? <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I got to my degree and I was freelancing and then studying and having my band and my projects, um, I was at the moment in my life where I looked in the mirror, mirror I was like, if I want to do this job, because my aim was to try and get into a studio. Mm -hmm. But I was looking around me in Rome. I gather there aren't many studios in Rome. <laughs> no. Okay. no. Oh, you need to be a, a man in your 50s or 60s and super connected. You said that. Uh, this is exactly how it is. Um, there are not many studios. The ones that are there are mostly 
the same people that have been there for like 30 years um, and it's pretty difficult to find a place like to put a, a, a foot in the door yeah um, so I was doing a lot of things uh, I, I thought I was working really hard but I couldn't see how I could achieve my dream let's say staying there so at some point I thought is either I leave and I try and do what I want to do somewhere else or I stay here and I just you know accept the fact that it's gonna be difficult and probably I'm never gonna get there um, after all this work and studying that, that would have been yeah. a shame so my parents were really nice about it again and I told mom and dad I want to leave so I got my degree, I graduated with honours at St. Louis College of Music, so I showed that I was committed. Yeah. Um, well, leave, leave for where? Did you have an idea? Did you want? Did you look at the States as well? Um, no, because I know it's pretty difficult with visas to, uh -huh. to kind of, and it was really far away as well. At the time, my brother was living here in London. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I could come and just take a look around. I had already visited a few times and I thought London was a really nice city. You could wear your Doc Martens, no problem here. Yes. Sure. And then I made the research about where the music industry is actually bigger in Europe. Because I thought if I have to leave and I don't want to go to a different continent. Well, either here or Sweden, but I don't know, probably I would um, here. I've never been to Sweden. Well, you know, with all the ABBA, you know, with the Swedish oh, yeah, 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 true, true. Um, so what, 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 what came out of your research? What that, was that the biggest, uh, in terms of revenue and uh -huh. how big the, the, the business is, uh -huh. uh, England and London specifically were like the, the top okay. um, city to go. And then there was Germany with Berlin and there was uh, Amsterdam, uh, so basically the north of Europe. Mm. And since I heard well, they were a bit below though. Yes. Yeah. So since I knew already a bit about London, I made a research about schools in London where I could get more practical experience and I could maybe study um, my aim was not more than a year because I also needed to get my English uh, going. Uh, like I had a, a good English but not enough not nearly enough to be able to work in an environment where everyone was native. Um, so I thought if I do six months uh, or a year somewhere in a school, full-time, part-time, I don't know, let's see what the program is, and I can get access to a studio or more than one because they have the facilities, I'm going to be able also to pick up on English and learn new things and learn how the business works there rather than just move to London and try from scratch, knowing nobody, to try and find a job there. You wanted to be a network as well. Yes. Yeah. So in my research I found different schools and I thought, uh, and, I, and I saw that the Abbey Road Institute was, um, well, it had the name, of course, so I was like, let me take a look at the program. The program starts almost from scratch, from the basics of sound and what basic of uh, music theory, until the end of it, which is like very in-depth in all of the audio-related uh, topics and music production. To a degree, these are things which you, you had already studied in, in Rome, wasn't it? Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, some stuff, but, but yes. In, in Italian. But in Italian. <laughs> so I thought, if I start from something easy, and I pick up the language and exactly. then the program goes and it gets more intense and more complicated, I'll be smart. able to 
to understand more. Very smart. So, um, so I enrolled. I came for the interview. Um, so when was that exactly? Which year? 2000 2018. 18. Wow. 2018, it was, I think, they started recru recruiting in September of 2017. And I think I came for the interview in January 2018. And the course started uh, in February 2018. So they sent me the letter. You know, you've been accepted. Uh, you have to demonstrate a certain... Uh, knowledge of music theory uh, or um, like present projects you worked on um, you need to be able to play an instrument it doesn't you know and guitar so you're good yeah it doesn't necessarily you don't have to be a virtuoso of the instrument but you know the the necessary to kind of be able to understand what ha harmony is for example um, so I did that I got my letter I got accepted and month later I was here in London and I started studying at the Institute. So the Institute at the time in 2018 was here, it was not yes. in Angel yet? Yes, okay. not, not just yet. Okay, they so. had uh, three production rooms, they were um, smaller than the, what they have now and they had uh, the Custom 75 which is a studio that is actually here uh, in Abbey Road Studios mm -hmm. um, where they have uh, an Eve desk. So that's um, not, sorry. Is a um, and is a brand that makes um, uh, mainly desks and mixers, uh, but also all the parts for it. So preamps, so when you, you see like this sort of uh, platform with all the, the buttons and stuff. Yeah, and the, like uh, a spaceship control. Exactly. Uh, thing. And yes. you call it a Neve. That's a, that's one brand, but there are many others like SSL. You call it Neve desk. Yeah, they had they had and they have a Neve desk um, for that particular studio at the okay. institute, and I never had in my life the chance to work on a Neve. Wow! So I was really happy about it. Um, so you, how it worked? Like, what would be a ballpark figure for these kind of uh, of big stations? How what, how much would that this, this sort of thing cost? For example, a Neve desk. Oh, it depends. Yeah. Uh, it depends if it's new, if it's used, if it's Your a vintage model. Mm -hmm. From tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands. Wow, okay, it's a big investment. In it's huge investments, yes. Studio. Okay. So, yeah, I got access to the studio and I never left the studio since <laughs> then. I four years, yeah? Plus, ah, uh, yeah, four yes. years. Plus the one year at the, yeah. the academy. Wow, and I can see on your. Uh, yes? Uh, I can see on your. Um, profile on uh, the Abbey Road website that your work is quite diverse. I mean, you, you, you're not doing just one thing. Um, whilst at the studio, she has worked on many projects, including movie scores for Marvel, Disney and Netflix, such as Black Widow, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Doctor Strange, um, Fantastic Beasts, Matrix, Resurrection, Shang-Chi, I haven't heard of Shang-Chi, but so that's pretty cool. And also that you worked with Joe Bonamassa, so probably on the, on the more, where you say, um, something that would come to mind more if you think of the work of, of a sound engineer. So you worked with Joe Bonamassa, now Rogers, that's cool, Kaiser Chiefs, Bastille, among others, and Alexandre Desplat, who is uh, one of the favorite 
um, composers for Wes Anderson yeah. and uh, probably others as well. So how how what did you actually request to be put on film projects or so? Um, an interesting thing about Abbey Road is that you never know who's gonna come to record here. I'm sure um, you have a book you know, of autographs. <laughs> I try to be professional about it. Well, but you can be professional <laughs> to get an autograph. And true, true. Or a picture, maybe. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. And um, so basically what happens is that the clients uh, book the studios because they need it for the projects. And um, there's a... Uh, we, our team is around 25 people, if I'm correct. So we get allocated to the sessions so when needed. Like the technical staff, so 25 people, or yeah. you, that includes also the, the admin and um, and the no, cast. just the sound engineers of wow. different That's levels, big. comprehending the runners as well. Right, as big. Well. Yeah. Do you know? Actually, I'm sure you know that. But I personally live just in front of Rack Studio. I personally live just in front of Rack Studios, nice. which is uh, which is in, I think Chelton Avenue or something. And I've heard recently also that the BBC Studios just got bought by a conglomerate and I may call it a group. And uh, um, uh, Hans Zimmer. Hans, and one of them is Hans Zimmer, the famous yeah. composer. So I was like, gosh, it's amazing how. Central's good. Central's wood in this part of London has got so many, and Maidenville as well, because yeah. they're called the Maidenville Studios. Has got so many sound engineering studios around here, and I'm just in the middle of it. And so, but probably I think Abbey Road Studios, with its 25 sound engineers, uh, would probably be the biggest. I should think. I'm not. Think? I'm not aware of the amount of stuff they have. But, uh, yeah, I would say... Rack Studios, for sure. You're bigger than Rack Studios. Yeah. But, but Abbey Road, do you think... Uh, sorry, I meant uh, Mandeville Studios. Do you think they are, might be bigger? Because it's the beams. I don't, I, I don't think they have 25 yeah. members of the engineering so you're probably team. probably the biggest. <laughs> probably we are, yeah. yes. Um, yes, so about the diverse pool of mm. clients we have. So yes. we get allocated to different sessions. Uh, of course, uh, each one of us can express a preference. Uh, sometimes it's subject to availability. Sometimes uh, people are on holidays, so you have to cover their shifts, uh, as any other job. Sure. Um, so, do so are some projects perhaps more technical than others, and therefore only very senior Sandinese can do them? Or usually, as long as you've gone beyond the stage of being a runner, you are able to do everything. As a sound engineer, um, I would say that some runners as well are able to do everything. <laughs> um, okay, but that's another point. <laughs> of course, there is different levels. Um, okay. um, we have a different, um, would say, a, a pyramid in some sort of way. So we have the runners, and then uh, you become an assistant engineer. And then after that, you become a recordist, which is another very specific figure, you stayed, and then an engineer. You stayed as, an, as a runner for seven months, you said. I, I was a regular runner for a year, and oh, then yeah. I was a senior runner, which means I was managing the runner's team. Oh, wow. At the moment, we have six runners on site, so you need someone that manages them. And I did that for another seven months, and then I became assistant engineer, and that's where I am now. Okay. Yes. And then you were saying uh, above assistant engineer, I suppose you have engineer? Above assistant engineer, you have recordist. Okay. And then engineer. 
Right. So your you, you goal at the moment is to become a recordist? Yes, that should be the next step. Okay. Um, but uh, regarding... You've been an assistant engineer for a mo how many months or years? Uh, uh, two years now. Okay. Yeah. And um, to reply to your question, uh, yes, um, different roles have different um, jobs, let's say. Um, so while I, as an, as an assistant engineer, I take care of some parts of the session, of the work, mm -hmm. the recordist takes care of other parts and the engineer of other parts. Ah, so you work in duos or trios sometimes? Oh, yes, okay. yes. Uh, to run Studio One, which is the biggest studio we have, yeah. uh, you can have like a hundred piece orchestra in there. Oh, so, so they plan records his 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 calls with with orchestras in for example in studio, in studio one. one. Yes. So to run studio one, there's the need for three or four of us. So you're gonna have an engineer, a recordist, and an assistant assigned to the session. Sometimes a runner too. Where is this studio one? Is it like in the basement or in the main building or? Yeah, yeah, in the main building. Oh. Like the 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 building from outside looks small, but. Uh, once you yeah. get inside, it's just it's huge. Ah, yeah. Oh, it's got a no, underground bunker or something. <laughs> no, it's like. Um, uh, I hope you got planning permission. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually once you go in, you go downstairs and you have Studio One live room, which is really big. Um, and uh, Studio Two is just in front of it, and Studio Three is just above. Okay. Um, and those are the three bigger rooms. Okay, and so the smaller studios are perhaps a, a bit up on like second, third floor, third story. So the gatehouse is actually just outside. We have a ramp on the left, so uh -huh. it's just it's like separate. Okay. And the front room is actually the looking at the building, the window on the left. So it's just at the front, in front mm -hmm. of reception mm -hmm. so yeah the smaller and we have the other smaller room one is uh, upstairs at the last floor like on top of the building okay. and then the mix stage is big it's like cinema big and is on one side of the building just outside of it okay so that's cool because you don't have to externalize anything you can do the whole s supply chain yes like sort of forward you know chain of uh, doing all the tasks up to the final product which is the mastering exactly yeah. the, the master completed and uh, yeah we can do everything on site mm. okay and so um yeah so as you were saying uh, sometimes in view of the pla uh, planning of each one and, and stuff you get uh, allocated to a team of two three sometimes even five to do a project and it could be recording a studio session it could be working on a on a film project yes yeah uh, anything else uh, 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 other than these two options um so i would say uh the bigger rooms is of course orchestras for uh scores so you go anywhere from the uh, cinema okay. to streaming services so netflix amazon uh, what, what does this mean in practice does this mean that um you are inviting some session musicians that they're going to watch the the, the film being played while they play so that it doesn't <laughs> it goes with <laughs> so, 
So if you look at the um, uh, videos of how they recorded some of the Star Wars music uh, in Studio One, for example, with uh, John can, Williams. Can, can I see that? Is it online? Uh, it's online, yeah. You can on, you on, you, on YouTube. On YouTube. You just type John Williams, Abbey Road Studios, Star Wars, and that's the video there. I'll do that. So once you see that, there's the whole orchestra and there was a big screen with a projector and they would project the movie well, in the go. room. So I was right. Yeah. And the conductor would give, you know, the cues to the orchestra to go in time with and they had the click as well. So each okay. musician has a click track. A click track. So you know it's funny because this is how it used to be done in the silent film era, where they they basically had all these musicians playing with the the, the, the film being shown on screen exactly. and everybody laughing. Because at the time I mean, the of the music I don't think yeah. they had the click track, so well, the musician was playing yeah. and they was looking at where yeah. it should land for, I don't know, an explosion or uh, ah, someone... So while here it's actually with the click track that they have the cues? Exactly. So um, at the beginning click track was not a thing, but was the conductor that was watching yeah. the movie, the orchestra was watching the exactly. movie, and they were trying to go in time with that. John Williams has um, a way of doing it with a clock, for example. So it was looking at the seconds on the clock, okay. and it was timing that to the movie because of the number of frames and, and everything was coinciding with kind of 60 seconds in a minute but that was a complicated way like his way of doing it nice. what we do right now is that the movie and the picture that is not streamed anywhere like the, the orchestra cannot see it we have a click track that goes with the movie mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes the conductor has the picture sometimes they don't so they basically the orchestra basically relies heavily on the click track that and goes in sync and score and of the score. course all right okay so they all wear some headphones they all wear headphones yes yeah last but not least actually do you have some advice for girls who want to become sound engineers um so something I wish someone would have told me uh, when I was at the beginning was that it can be done, that you can actually do it, that uh, probably is not going to be the easiest path, but it's not the easiest path for everyone, uh, for anyone, uh, guys or, or girls. Um, yes, there are some, um, we might find some more difficulties. Um, in terms of uh, again seeing um, uh, seeking representation or being able to ask for advice or um, but what I can say about it is that I was really shy so I didn't want to reach out to the people that I wanted to talk to especially women in the industry but now there's a big movement around um, women in uh, um, sound engineering did you not go to a, a sort of seminar about that, about ladies yes, working in yes. sound engineering, I think in the US or something, um, last year, I, uh, or earlier this year? So uh, we did a remote uh, thing right. with Berkeley with Emily Lazar, who's a, a really important mastering engineer. What is it called, this thing, this movement? Um, um, Do you remember? The, uh, a specific name? The, the event had a specific name. Yeah, I think it was um, with girls or, or women in the, in the title. No, it, it was um, We Are Moving the Needle. Okay. Um, 
So, and uh, there's also different other companies around and organizations that you can reach out to and they have a big network of women in the industry like Sound Girls for example okay. um, and I think the key is also working together and reaching out to other women in the industry this is something that I didn't do because I didn't know about it and also I was really shy about it but when you find someone that you think oh it's doing something cool uh, they're working on amazing projects and it seems like a person I could have a chat to or ask for advice to mm. please reach out because you know we have social media now Indeed. when I was younger it was not that big mm. and we were not always connected but so let's use it is, even if you're not based in London you can still reach out through social yes, media yes yes because uh, maybe you're scared maybe you're a bit shy about things or maybe you you don't know uh, if your knowledge is enough to pursue a career in the industry or you don't know what the next steps are to achieve what you want but someone did it someone in the world managed to do it and there's so many ways uh, you can achieve the same thing and I don't see why I could not share my experience to kind of help you maybe or open your mind to a different way of, of or a different perspective of saying things okay. so um, if I could give an advice would be actually that reach out uh, and find people with similar stories and see if the paths that someone else opened for you or for the next generations they can be pursued uh, and that can be for you as well. Great. Thank you, Martha. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful, wonderfully enlightening podcast episode. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.